really privileged and pleased this morning to be able to say that old friends of ours that were here with us for more than a week, just about a year ago, are with us here again this morning. Colin and Jackie Marshall. Colin, where are you? There you are. Would you be willing to stand for us, please, Colin, Jackie? God bless you folks, huh? Thank you. It is our worldwide ministry reaching all the way to Australia that draws them back. No, I'm just kidding. No, they're back here in the States doing some more trellis and vine conferences, and they're in the L.A. area, and we're just uh, honored and, and thrilled to uh, have you spend Sunday morning with us. So God bless you. Your work among us is bearing fruit, and by God's grace, we'll continue to do so for a good long time to come. We return this morning to the topic of temptation. The topic of temptation, right? <laughs> temptation. That's right. Even dogs can be tempted. The topic of temptation. You know, the pull of temptation is strong and it is unrelenting. It is unrelenting, isn't it? It is very much like a tug of war. And therefore, we have to employ every single weapon in our arsenal to battle and overcome it. One of those weapons is the ability from the Scriptures to understand the source of temptation. Understand the source of temptation so that we do not get taken by surprise. Last week, we looked at that very issue, right? The source of temptation. And we noted last week that temptation comes at us from essentially three directions. It comes at, comes at us internally via, uh, via our own corrupt human nature. It comes at us externally through the various circumstances of life, and it comes to us through the provocation of third parties, and in particular, we were talking and thinking about the demonic realm. Thus, the proverbial expression, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right, set against us, seeking our undoing, our ruin. So we are smart to the enemy's ways. We have been tipped off. We know the strategies that are employed. But now we need to battle back. We need to battle back. And what I want to do this morning with you is look at a four-part biblical strategy for battling temptation. A four-part biblical strategy for battling temptation so that we might gain victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. If we are going to win, we're going to need to fight hard. We're going to need to fight hard, but we're also going to need to fight according to the patterns and principles of the Scriptures. If we do not fight this fight in the way that God has laid for us to fight it, if we do not take up the weapons of our warfare that He has supplied to us, we have no chance of victory. No chance of victory. So are you ready this morning? You alert I'm fired up. I spent uh, three days locked in a room with a lot of wonderful people. And about an hour ago, I took a five-hour energy drink, and I am fired up. <laughs> I should be good till about three this afternoon, so hang with me. Hang with me. We've got a four-part strategy to look at together. So let's take a look at that first part. Number one in that four-part strategy is to request Help from God. It all begins here. It all begins here. We need to request help from God. Temptation will never be overcome, never be defeated by a prayerless life. Never. We need look no further than the model and pattern of our own Savior. Isn't that true? Jesus 
patterned, modeled, demonstrated for us a life of prayer. A life of dependence upon the Father expressed through prayer, which is what prayer really does. If we are going to have the spiritual power necessary to live a righteous life, the life that we have been saved for and called to, then we need to tap into the power of God and we tap into the power of God through prayer. Through prayer. Jesus was in the habit of frequent prayer. It was the habit of his life. Luke's gospel tells us in Luke chapter 5 and verse 16 that Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. He would often do that. Now our lives are busy, isn't that true? We moderns living here in Southern California with all kinds of distractions and opportunities, we're busy. But none of us were more busy than he. And yet, the Scripture says he would often slip away to pray. Wow, that is so convicting. So convicting. Matthew tells us in Matthew 14, verses 23 to 25, that that Jesus prayed in that particular occasion until the fourth watch of the night. That is, till sometime between 3 and 6 in the morning. Till the fourth watch of the night, he he prayed, and it was prayer following the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. As you remember, that miracle as John portrays it for us, that at the the end of him feeding the 5,000, and that's men plus women and children, so perhaps 15,000 people, they wanted to take him by force, as it were, and make him king. Jesus dismissed the crowd and went to the mountain and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And I'd like to suggest to you that a part of his prayer that night was to resist the temptation. To resist the temptation. To resist the very same kind of temptation that Satan directly brought to him in the wilderness. A crown without a cross. He slipped away and he prayed. He prayed fervently in the Garden of Gethsemane when his imminent arrest was was upon him. When the awful reality of the sin-bearing that he was about to accomplish pressed upon his soul. When he knew the sin of the world to to be laid upon him. He strengthened himself in prayer. To face the cross. Open your Bibles to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Let us be reminded. Let us be reminded of the model of our own Savior. This is the wrestling of prayer. Matthew 26 and beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved To the point of death, remain here and keep watch with me. He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and and he prayed saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. He came to his disciples. He found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again, second time, prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again 
came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. He left them again. And he went away and he prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Wow. At that moment, at that moment, when redemption, as it were, hangs in the balance, the Son of Man fortifies his heart, his soul, in prayer. He resists the temptation through prayer. Paul says to us, pray without ceasing, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and, and verse 17. And just a few verses later, verse 22, he says, abstain from every form of evil. My friends, they, they are related to each other. To pray without ceasing and to abstain from every form of evil, they are, they are related to each other. One is dependent upon the other. Prior to temptation coming, in the midst of temptation, we must realize that our only hope lies with God. Our only hope. We have to call out to our Heavenly Father. Call out to Him. Engage Him in, in prayer. Call out to Him that, he, that we would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. Ephesians 3 verses 16 and 17. In other words, that we would know and that we would believe and that we would, we would access the spiritual power available to us in Christ. To be strengthened in the inner man. You need to call out in prayer. Call out to God in prayer. Strengthened by prayer, we, we have to respond. We have to respond to the temptation. And the, and the best form of self-defense known to man is running. It's running. The best form of self-defense. Strengthened in prayer, we must run. We must run. And that takes us to our second strategy. Second strategy. Request help from God. Secondly, run from temptation. Run away. Run away. Scriptures give us a number of things to run from. Actually, I've got four of them for us this morning to think about and contemplate. Very directly, the Bible says to run from these things. The first is greed. Verse is greed. First Timothy chapter 6. Turn over there to the right to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and let's take a look at what Paul says. Listen, we need to run from temptation. We need to request help from God in prayer and then we need to run. We need to run. The first thing we need to flee is greed. We need to flee greed. 1 Timothy Chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. We have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. There are no trailer hitches on the back of a funeral coach, right? There are, there are no self-storage buildings in heaven. Throughout human history, different peoples have, have attempted such things. They built elaborate mausoleums and, and filled them with the world's treasures. And when the archaeologists finally get there or the grave robbers break in, they find the junk still there. Still there. We brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of it either, Paul says. Verse 7, 
So if we have food and covering, verse 8, with these we shall be content. Content. (laughs) But those who are not content, but those who want to get rich, verse 9, fall into what? Temptation, right? They fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many a pang. Paul says that that this love of money, this greed that grips the human heart, draws people away and destroys them. Destroys them. Verse 11, contrast. But flee from these things, you man of God. Run away. Run away. Do you know money is like seawater? Did you know that? Money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. You think you're going to quench your thirst, and the thirstier you become. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and, and verse 10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Now there's a man that had a lot of stuff. And he says, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't satisfy. The hole in the heart cannot be filled with material things. And we need to hear this in our culture. We need to hear this message. We need to run from greed. We need to run away. Beyond that, we need to run away from youthful lusts. 2 Timothy 2. A couple pages over. Flee, run away. Verse 22, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient with wrong, when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Flee youthful lusts. This is a particular message for young men. This is a young man's admonition. Run away from youthful lust. And and this is not a sexual lust he's talking about. We'll deal with that in a minute. What he's talking about here is pride and and intolerance, an argumentativeness, a a self-assertion. That's why I say it's a particular young man's temptation. Young men like to argue. Did you ever notice that? They like to argue. The reason they like to argue is, is because they have a high opinion of themselves. They think they're right. And they want to prove it. So they argue. And they'll argue about anything. Sports teams. Automobiles. Big Mac versus Big Blue. Theological nuances, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. They'll argue about anything. Why? Because they want to be right. They care little for truth and a lot for themselves. Paul says, refuse foolish, ignorant speculations. 
the realms of theology. Be patient and gentle with others. Kind. Run away, young men, from youthful lusts. Run away. Turn the other direction. When the argument begins, turn around and run. Don't stand and destroy your brother for the sake of your own ego. Run away from temptation. Run from greed. Run from youthful lust. Third, run from sexual immorality, the apostle says. Run from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. Flee immorality. Very simple. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body, the apostle says. Sexual sin corrupts at the deepest levels. The deepest levels. It bends, it it twists the soul. It leaves scars, deformities. Run. Run away. Be like Joseph with Potiphar's wife. You remember it? He turned and he he ran. He, He left his garment there. He ran away. Ran away. Folks, we have to have a a zero-tolerance policy with regard to to sexual immorality, to regard to to things like pornography. Zero-tolerance. We must not be so arrogant to think that I can handle it. It was a good movie except for a couple of scenes. You're a fool. You're a fool. You think you can, you can drink that kind of pollution and have it not damage your soul? Run away, he says. Run away. Better to be thought uncool. Better to be thought uncool than to damage your soul. Flee sexual immorality. Fourth, Idolatry. Run away from idolatry. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. And verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. Run away from idolatry. The context here of this part of 1 Corinthians is is our freedom in Christ. And Paul is is teaching about how we are free in Christ and and that what we eat doesn't defile us. The big discussions of meat offered to idols. We are free in Christ. But we must not use our freedom as a, a covering for evil. When it comes to idolatry, run away. Run away. Can't help but be reminded of the Apostle John. Story goes that late in his life, John was in a bathhouse with Serinthius, an infamous heretic. And when he realized that Serinthius was there in the bathhouse, John ran running out of the bathhouse naked, crying out, Flee before God destroys the place. That would cut quite an impression, don't you think? <laughs> Run away. Run away. Sometimes it's not possible to run. Sometimes it's not possible to run. Sometimes the the devil and his demons, they, they have you in their crosshairs. And they are bound and determined to, to destroy you and with you and through you damage the local church. 
in those times when there is no place to run, we have to stand our ground and fight. Run when you can. Run from these things. But there is a time to stand and fight. Takes us to our third strategy. To resist the devil. To resist the devil. Request help from God. Strategy number one. Run from temptation. Strategy number two. Strategy number three, resist the devil. In those times and specific instances, when we cannot run, we must fight. When that happens, we have to resist the devil. Now, you're looking at that picture, and you're thinking to yourself, what does that have to do with resisting the devil? Aha. My friends, it has everything to do with resisting the devil. We resist the demonic realm and their temptation when we seriously and actively pursue humility. To stand our ground and fight is to pursue humility. Satan and his minions, they are are not interested in our singular destruction. They are interested in, in destroying the work of God. They are interested in damaging the reputation and testimony of the local church. Their desire is to take the church offline, as it were. To get the church so involved in its own internal squabbles and fights that there is no lighthouse left, no testimony to the unbelieving world, that the gospel in that particular area has run to a grinding halt. So the demonic attacks come. Upon the unity of the church. They attack the unity of the church and they attack it through people. Go over to James chapter 4. Spiritual warfare. You hear that term thrown around a lot? This is spiritual warfare. When the unity of God's church is under heavy assault. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The context is is church quarrels, right? Verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It is, it is the fighting that goes on among the people of God even 2,000 years ago. These quarrels, these, these conflicts, they are brought about by, by people in the church giving into the temptation of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition, which leads them to assert their worldly wisdom. Chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, right? This is the context. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and, and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. How many churches are taken offline because people assert their worldly wisdom? They puff themselves up, make themselves big as a peacock, right? They want the power, they want the authority, they want the respect. And they'll kill to get it, James says. Chapter 4, verse 2, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. They'll kill to get it. This is a, a toxic dump. This is a, this is a spiritual superfund site. 
And it's out of this toxic mess that the devil, the slanderer, does his work. What is the cure? What is the antidote? It is to recognize our true position before God, right? We are a sinful slave saved by grace. Nothing more. Nothing more. We have no rights. We have only responsibilities in the Christian life. We have been bought with a price, right? We are not our own. We belong to him who bought us. Therefore, we need to humble our heart before God and before others. Verse 6. God is, a, is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to who? To the humble. Verse 10, therefore, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So passage is about humility in the, in the midst of conflict. The enemy of our soul is constantly at work. Constantly at work seeking to to destroy this local church. Let's just personalize this. We are in his crosshairs. In fact, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 8 and 9. First Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. This past week, there was a tragedy in, in Ohio. There was a man who committed suicide, at least according to the news report I read. But he had, he had a number of, I think, 50 exotic animals. Prior to his death, he opened the cages and let them go. I think it was Zanesville, Ohio. There were tigers roaming the streets, bears roaming the streets. The police had to kill him. They shot him all. The only thing they could do was kill him. They issued a warning. Stay indoors. Do not let your children out. There are tigers in the neighborhood. It's kind of bizarre. Listen. Listen, the enemy of our soul, he is prowling around. There's a a lion in the neighborhood. He's looking to pick someone off. He wants me. He wants you. He's looking for an unguarded moment, a chance. I've been offended. Someone offends me. It's like blood in the water to a shark. You can sense it from a distance. Start circling. Is this the the opportunity to exploit? Paul says in, in Ephesians... Do not let the sun go down on your anger and and do not give the devil what? A foothold. By the way, that's a corporate warning. It's a corporate warning. He's looking. He's hunting. He's prowling. He's got to pick someone off. Pick someone off. What is our defense? What is our defense? Our defense is humility. It's the, it's the only defense. Look, look back at verse 5. You young men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And, and all of you, this is the whole body, all of you, clothe yourself with what? Humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. 
This is what it means to resist. To resist the devil. It's to humble our hearts. Clothe yourself with humility, verse 5. More literally, put on the apron of a slave. Put on the apron of a slave. That's why I chose that illustration of foot washing. I think Peter is, is very much conscious of that great event on the night of, of Jesus' betrayal, right? When they're in the upper room, according to John 13, when those disciples are there in the, in the upper room on, on the eve of his betrayal arrest, they are jockeying for position one with another as to who will be number one. They don't get it. And while they're puffed up as a peacock and, and jockeying around, Jesus comes into the room and, and he puts on the towel, John tells us, of a slave, right? And he goes from one to the other and he does what? He washes their feet. He washes their feet. Peter said, oh, no, Lord. You don't wash my feet. That's a slave's job. You're not going to humble yourself and become like a slave. You're the Lord of all. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Jesus says, you're to do like I have done. Now, is he, is he mandating foot washing? I don't think so, and I'd love to talk to you more about it later if you are of that persuasion. I think the point of the matter is, is, is that you are to, to do as I have done. You are to humble yourself to serve. You are to put on the apron, the towel of a slave. You are to, to be willing to do the most menial task in the service of your brother or sister in Christ. They will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. What does love look like? Love looks like serving. Serving. We need to resist the devil. We need to resist a third-party provocation to pride and arrogance and hubris. Being number one. Having to have the limelight. Number four, fourth strategy. Fourth strategy, we need to recall the Scriptures. We need to recall the Scriptures. We need to request help from God. We need to run away from temptation. We need to to resist the devil, and, and we need to recall the Scriptures. We need to recall the Scriptures. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. That's where this all began. You may have forgotten that. I haven't forgotten that. This all began in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. So we're back in Matthew chapter 4 again. Verses 1 to 11. Now this is not a passage given for the purpose of instructing us as to how to overcome temptation. That's not the point. That's not why Matthew included it. But it doesn't mean that it can't be instructive to us. It doesn't mean that we can't observe something here. In fact, I would say we would be remiss if, if we fail to observe the significant role that the Word of God played in the life of the Son of Man in facing and overcoming temptation. We would miss something significant. Three times, three times in His, in his most weakened condition, The slanderer himself came to him and and attempted to draw him into sin. Three times, Jesus parried his thrust through the skillful use of the Word of God. Verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he, he then became hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. 
But answered him, he said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the devil took him into the holy city, and and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he, he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he, and he said to him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, scram. Well, not exactly. But he said, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Listen to me. Listen carefully now. All temptation involves a lie. All temptation involves a lie. There is a a hook inside of it. There's a lie at its core. It is only the Word of God that can expose the lie and defeat it before it takes hold of our hearts. And the James 1, 14, 15 birth process begins. And we looked at that last time. And once it begins, there is no stopping it. Temptation involves a lie. We need to see the lie. We need to ferret out the lie. And we need the Word of God to do that. Let me illustrate this for you. Go back to Proverbs chapter 1. By the way, Jesus was well studied in the book of Proverbs. Well studied in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. This is how, this is how Scripture works to expose the lie. Just look at a couple of these verses with me. Verse 10. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son. So this, is, this is Scripture speaking. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. That's the instruction. He goes on, verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Verses 14, 15. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. Come on. Let's do it. We're going to get rich. We're going to get rich. Let's mug this old guy. My son, verse 15. Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. Avoid these people. Why? Why? Where's the lie? Verse 19. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Son, listen to me. Those who, who make their income by violence will die a violent death. Verse 32, 33. For the waywardness of the naive shall kill them. The complacency of fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is a lie here that says, hey, let's throw in. Let's make some dough. It's easy money. No one's going to catch us. You don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. God will ensure your destruction. God will ensure your destruction. Yes, you may fool your parents. You may fool your friends. You may may fool those who live around you. You will not fool God. 
God will assure your destruction. There's a lie here that needs to be exposed. That's why Paul says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, right, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It is the Word of God that will expose the lie. This lie is simple. You sort of look at it and you go, well, of course, anybody would know that. Well, evidently, everybody doesn't know that because we have jails filled with people who don't know that. Or don't believe it. Why is the Word of God the means by which the the lie is exposed? And the temptation is overcome. I would suggest to you it's because of the power of the Word of God. It is the power of the Word of God. It is Romans 10, 17, right? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. It is faith that that overcomes temptation. And faith is, is, is empowered by the Word of God. By the Word of God. How did Jesus... Defeat Satan. It was with the Word of God, wasn't it? It exposed the lies through the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. Psalm 119 has 176 verses. 176 verses. They're, they're arranged in, in stanzas, each one with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is designed to be memorized. It is a psalm entirely given over to the Word of God. It is given over to the, to the beauty and the benefits of the Word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure, right? By keeping it according to your Word. Verse 11, Psalm 119, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 97, How I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Back to the Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. I love that proverb. Buy truth and do not sell it. The idea is to accumulate truth. Accumulate truth. Truth comes from the Word of God. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Massive intake of the Word of God. Massive intake. About 2,800 years ago, there was a simple farmer. A simple farmer who had purple fingers. His fingers were stained purple because he was a fig picker. That's what he did for a living. He harvested figs. This simple farmer with the purple fingers confronted the apostate king of Israel. And under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, this is what Amos said. Amos 8.11. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. Famine for hearing the words of the Lord. Now, this specific prophecy had to do with the apostate northern kingdom. What Amos was saying is, you have been warned enough. It's done. There'll be no more warning to you. No more word from the Lord. Prophetically. But I think we can make an application. I think we can make an application. We live in a time of spiritual famine. We are living in a time of spiritual famine. 
The scriptures are readily available, and yet most people are biblically ignorant. We have the Bible available to us in every form. And yet our knowledge of the Word of God is appalling. It's appalling. Our society, our society has been deluded into, into thinking we can achieve instant success with minimal effort. That's the American way. Right? Instant success, minimal effort. How much money has been spent upon home exercise equipment so that we can have six-pack abs or buns of steel, right? Huh? That junk shows up in the yard sales. Or it sits in the closet gathering dust. No six-pack abs, no more like a kega, right? <laughs> no buns of steel. We just we get sucked into this stuff. You know, if, we'll, if we just buy this in like 15 minutes a day, you can look like Charles Atlas. Nobody under 50 even knows what I'm talking about at that time. <laughs> That was for the older crowd, right? Some illustrations are for the younger crowd, some are for the older crowd. You won't believe as a boy how much money I wasted sending in the back of comic books to get the Charles Atlas program so that I could not have sand kicked in my face. And I'm not alone, I bet. Instant success. Isn't that what we want? Instant success. You know, I was watching a film here about two weeks ago. It was an ESPN documentary film, and it it was uh, on the life of Michael Jordan. Really interesting film piece. Michael Jordan, as you know, is um, kind of Mr. Basketball, right? At the height of his career, he he had led the Chicago Bulls to three world championships consecutively. And something tragic happened in his life. His father was murdered. This is 1993. His father was murdered. Michael Jordan, he retired from basketball. He just retired. He just quit. The very top of his game, he quit. And he quit in order to fulfill sort of a a boyhood dream that was mostly his father's, at least the documentary seemed to indicate that. And that was to play baseball. To play baseball. So here is the the star of the NBA who decides he is going to throw it all away. He's going to leave it. He's going to walk away from the game because he wants to play baseball. Goes to the tryouts. He manages to get signed to a very minimal minor league contract. And he begins to play baseball. He was awful. I mean, he was... He was so, far, so much better than I am. I, you know what I'm saying? He made the minor leagues. I don't want to forget that. But he was awful. But something fascinating happened over the course of that year. Actually, a number of fascinating things, but one for this morning's purposes. He raised his batting average by over 50 points as the year progressed. Now, the later you get into the season, the more difficult it is to move the average. Right? Mathematicians understand such things. And yet he was able to do that. And this is the thing that, that just struck me as I was watching this, this documentary. They were talking about his work ethic. They were talking about his work ethic. Michael Jordan would show up hours before the game to take batting practice. He would take several hours of individualized batting practice every single day. Then he would participate in the team-mandated batting practice. And then he would play the game. And then after everyone was gone from the ballpark, they're all home celebrating, resting, whatever they're doing, partying. He remains at the ballpark for further individual batting practice. Every day. Every day. And over the course of that season, he began to hit the baseball. The end of the season, I believe it was batting like 250. There's a lot of guys, by the way, who make a lot of money batting 250. That's another story. Right? Baseball, you can blow it three out of four times and be a millionaire. 
What that spoke to, my, to me about was with regard to his, this was the point, it, it was with regard to his, his dominance of the NBA. So a lot of people think Michael Jordan dominated the NBA because, because he was just, just good. You know, God has just done that for him. Zapped him. The man have a lot of God-given ability? You bet. But he did not arrive. By the way, one year in baseball, back into the NBA, led the Bulls to three more consecutive championships. You don't arrive at that level without a lot of hard work. Who knows how many hours he spent at the free throw line, right? Until he could sink him in his sleep. How many hours he spent dribbling one hand and then the other until it was natural to him. Why can't we be like that with the Word of God? Hmm? Why can't we put that kind of effort into the Word of God? Hey, you know the expression, you'll see it around the gymnasium, right? No pain, no gain. That's why I don't go to the gym. And who in the world wants pain? (laughs) No pain, lots of gain. But that's a, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's a different thing. (laughs) If we want to be competent in the Word of God, we need to really give ourselves to it. We need, to, we need to pour ourselves into it. If we want to be skilled at handling the, the sword of the Word of God, that we can, we can fend off temptation. That we can't just nipple at it. We can't just nipple at it a few minutes here or there. We've got to drink deeply. We need to drink deeply the well of truth. So we can recall the scriptures. We can recall the scriptures when we need them. That we can expose the lie. That we can resist the devil by pursuing humility. That we can recognize the need for prayer and, and order our lives accordingly. These, these four biblical strategies, they're, they're interrelated, aren't they? They're really interrelated. Weakness in one will produce weakness in all. It's kind of a, a combined composite strategy. And they're only available, if I can say this to you, they are only available to those who have by faith Embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ savingly, then these strategies are not available to you. You are, you are lost and helpless before the onslaught. You're like a, a rotted fence post. The slightest pressure and you will snap off at ground level. Your only hope lies in Christ. It is He who will redeem you eternally, and it is He who will redeem you temporally and will empower you to live a righteous life. You need Christ. you know Christ this morning, yet you have fallen. You have fallen to a place where you're having trouble getting up. And today's the day. Today is the day. Put these strategies to work. Turn, flee back to the cross of Christ. It is the gospel who saves us, or that saves us, both in space and time, there and perpetually. We never lose our need 
for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in eternity. If I've said something this morning that has piqued your interest, your heart is burdened, I'd be delighted to talk with you. I'll be down front here later. People will be milling around. It'll, it'll be confidential enough. Necessary, we can even go to the prayer room. I'd love to open the Word of God with you. I would love to open the Word of God with you and show you how we can win. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for loving us and sending your Son to die as a substitute for, our, for us. That all the guilt and all the wrath that is rightfully ours be placed upon Him. That all of His perfections and righteousness be credited to our account by faith. Oh Lord, temptation. Temptation is there for all of us. It, in a moment's notice, it's constantly at hand. The things we've talked about this morning, O Lord, they're not new. But we need to hear them fresh. May your Spirit do a mighty work within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for coming, folks. May you have a wonderful Lord's Day. huh? Bye-bye.